Welcome back to Two Keto Dudes. This is Carl Franklin from Connecticut. I went keto in 2016 to reverse diabetes and lose weight. And now it's my mission to spread the science of keto and to show the world how cooking is really necessary for keto success. Oh, oh yeah, and pork shanks. Pork shanks! <laughs> yeah. And I'm Carrie Brown, and I also live in Connecticut, just a different part to Carl. I'm a trained pastry chef who went keto to control and eventually eliminate symptoms from bipolar 2 disorder and depression. I take no medications, I have no symptoms, and it's my mission to show the world that keto food is not only delicious, but it can be better than any other kind of food. And this show is a document of our experiences thriving for years in nutritional ketosis. And also our experiences reversing diabetes and depression and feeling better than we ever have before. And hopefully that might help a few people who are curious about this kind of dietary hacking. Now, we don't give medical advice because we're not doctors. Right, Carrie. We just want to share our experiences and review the research that supports it. Oh, and... Guacamole. Guacamole. Yeah, we share our recipes and any science that we find in the show notes. My favorite part, recipes. You almost did it there. <laughs> uh, but not quite. Well, let's start podcast number 168. Richard Morris is writing a book. Go, Richard. Yeah. But before we get started with the lovely Mr. Morris, let's explain in plain English what a ketogenic diet is. Right. That's any diet that puts you into a state of ketosis where you're burning fat for energy rather than glucose. And the way we did it was to limit our carbohydrates to 20 grams or less every day, have a moderate amount of protein, one to one and a half grams per kilogram of lean body mass, and all of our energy comes from fat. Fat? Fat. Yes, and if you're just starting, listen to our Starting Keto Show at start.2keto.com or just start listening from episode one. You'll hear my journey all over again. So, Carrie, what's new with you? What you been doing this week? Ice cream. Just, that's it? Pretty much that's been <laughs> just it. <laughs> Ice cream and driving. <laughs> I drove from Connecticut to Winchester, Virginia, um, and made and churned and froze 40 batches of keto ice cream wow. there was vavavoom vanilla there was kept in the dark chocolate there was sinless <laughs> cinnamon there was butter me up pecan there was bubblegum bliss and the unmatchable sassy goat ice cream oh my and uh one of the admins from the keto kitchen facebook group sherry Nower, she came she lives in virginia and she came help me we made Maiden churned 40 batches of ice cream. And then we had an ice cream social at a fabulous cookware store in Winchester, Virginia. Wow. And gave out scoops and scoops of keto ice cream to adoring fans. There was some two keto dudes fans came nice. to give me a hug and and say fat in loud voices and <laughs> and share their stories and that was super cool and there were pictures and hugs and ice cream and more ice cream and lots of cookbooks sold and um, it was a fabulous event we had a lovely lovely time but yes my entire week consisted of ice cream wow hey it's kind of nice to be able to do that once in a while i guess it well, well i love making ice cream making is one of my favorite things. And you'll know if you've been listening since I joined in December that driving is my very favorite thing. So right. I drove for two days and I made ice cream for three days. So that was just like perfect for me. And you got to hang out with some fans. That's awesome. And I got to hang out with some fans. There were some, there was two keto dude fans there. There were some 
folks that are on our Happy Healthy Keto 8-week program that Mm -hmm. Kim and I do. So that was lovely. There was a bunch of people from our Facebook group, the Keto Kitchen. Right. And so, yeah, it was was super, super cool. And there were some new people. We also – we hope we – introduced keto to some people who'd heard about it but didn't really know what it was um, you know ice cream so, is a great way to introduce keto to people and isn't it gra- and, and nobody <laughs> believed it was sugar-free they were yeah. all like wait what like yeah. are you kidding me like but yeah. but but you're fibbing i'm mean, no seriously i made it there is no sugar in there yeah. so it was it was really cool but we did get to hopefully educate some people and show them that keto food is even more delicious than the food they're currently eating. So mm. it, was, it, it was a big win all round. Sounds fun. So my week was filled with ice cream. What was your week filled with, Mr. Franklin? Well, ironically, there was some ice cream in my week too, but uh, I also got to hang out with some fans at Keto Mini Fest in Minnesota, in Stillwater, Minnesota. That's right. I signed up for my ice cream social before the dates were launched for the Minifest. So we had to go and do our separate thing this weekend, but let's hear about how yours went. Sure. First of all, Stillwater, Minnesota is a beautiful town. It's right on the St. Croix River, which is not the Mississippi, but it's a tributary. And it's it's much more calm than the Mississippi. There's a lot less boat traffic. There's some paddle boats. So It was a beautiful setting. It was at the St. Croix Yacht Club. But what was really cool was I was at a software developer conference, NDC, Minnesota, uh, a few days before. And they also, NDC, Minnesota, paid for my flight because I'm a speaker. And that's just what they do. So I just extended my return flight by a couple of days. After I checked out of my hotel there, I went to, I took an Uber 28 minutes to Stillwater, got a a hotel there, and I stayed there for a couple of days. And so Keto Mini Fest was run by John Somsky and his wife and crew and, you know, hats off to them. Oh, I love them. I met them at Keto Fest in Connecticut last year. Right. And John runs a local keto meetup group, just like we did in New London, right? And then he started doing these meetings, and then that grew into a mini-fest, and they had Maria Emmerich come. She was sort of the, the rock star there, and she did uh, cooking demos, and they basically served food, and everything that they served, they did a demo of, including Maria. That sounds super cool. Do you remember what you ate? Sure, yeah. So Brenda Zorn did a demo of her pork rind pancakes. Uh, Maria Emmerich did her mama's meatballs, mm-hmm. keto meatballs, which were just fantastic. And uh, Rose Sitteron, one of the other organizers, uh, brought some kids up and they made pizza burgers. She made this, um, you know, hamburger with pizza sauce and all that kind of stuff. And then they put it on Fox Hill Kitchen's buns. Yay! It was this nice little pizza flavored burger bite. And then the people from Love Ice Cream, L-U-V-IceCream.com, they, they're right there in in the area and they basically brought tubs of of ice cream they actually brought a dairy-free ice cream that is considered vegan also and it was uh, strawberry coconut it was like a sorbet Mm -hmm. with flakes of coconut in it so it was very good lots of good food and great time and it was a very food-centric event right Uh, except for the the lecture that maria gave um, toward the end of the day it was all cooking and eating Oh, and I also forgot they served Miracle Noodles. The Miracle Noodle people were there. Ooh, I would love to have met them. Yep. We had a good noodle talk. And that brings me to the second part of my week, 
which you is you had we, two parts. Yes, we raised Woo! the money for the square crepe machine with the GoFundMe. Yay! Yeah, this is great news. So, what does that mean? Right. So, this is um, a tabletop manufacturing machine for crepes. And yes, I'm not making crepes. I'm making noodles. But you make the bazoodles, my low carb noodle, as a crepe. So we think it's going to work just fine. It's going to be here in a couple of weeks, like Monday the 27th that week, like the end of May. How exciting. Yeah, so we get to see if it works. And if it works, we're going to do a run for Keto Fest. We're going to start maybe talking to local restaurants, see if they want to buy them. We don't know. I mean, we we got to see what the laws are about manufacturing, um, even to local restaurants. You might have to have a license to do that, but it is a certified kitchen, RD86, and that's where it'll be. So we're just ex- super excited to start going down the path of really making these and scaling up. How fun. Yay. New inventions are always fun. Oh, yeah. Now we get to, you know, buy a whole bunch of ingredients and hopefully we don't waste too many before we get the perfect recipe, right? How many bazoodles did Carl have to eat to make them perfect? Exactly. We could have a competition out of that. Yeah, exactly. Well, talking talking about competitions. Right. Let's give away a Two Keto Dudes coffee mug to a lucky member of the Two Keto Dudes fan club. Let's do that. And who is the winner? Today's winner is Jessica Ebersol. Yay! Congratulations, Jessica. And Jessica wins a coffee mug with our mugs on it just for being a member of the Two Keto Dudes fan club, which you can join at fanclub.twoketo.com. And if you don't want to wait to win a coffee mug, you can get one online at gear.twoketo.com. Right, along with everything else that we sell there. So, I guess it's time for us to read a... can't tell you how many fan boys and girls we had at keto mini fest and you know they they want to take pictures and they want us to do the the mail scream and the recipes scream it's just kind of bizarre but it is what it is it was a lot of fun that was also fun when we were at low carb utah and we recorded on stage that yeah. was also it was super fun when everybody was screaming back at you yeah, and, right. and encouraging me to join you or not join you depending on how <laughs> they felt about it it was the audience participation is always fun will she won't she Will she? Won't she? <laughs> and she didn't <laughs> she didn't <laughs> so who wrote to us this week well, this one is from the Newbies Getting Started Forum on the Ketogenic Forums at ketogenicforums.com or forum.2keto.com. And it's apropos of what we're going to talk to Richard about. My story, and if hungry, do you eat more protein or fat? And, you know, this is very typical of people who are starting keto and they don't understand uh, how these things get processed. And so let's, let's go through this. And uh, this person says, hi, so here's my story. I started keto about three months ago. I'm down about 13 pounds. I was really good the first half of my journey. However, I was living alone as I got a new job and had to relocate ahead of my family. So it was pretty easy to just eat what I needed and not have other people to cook for or foods around. I was usually around 15 carbs or less a day. I was starving all the time, though. Then we closed on a house and moved in, so I wasn't diligent weighing my foods and tracking macros. I was lax. I wasn't eating pizza and french fries all the time, though. I truly cheated probably three or four times, meaning 
eating crap carbs like sugar or flour. The rest of the lax time, I got carbs from processed meats, veggies, almond flour, and dairy. Often, I would be over 20 carbs a day, and the fat protein macros were high also, mostly because I was hungry. It was all I could do to fast until lunch. I have coffee with stevia and sometimes add a tablespoon of heavy cream or ghee and blend it up. I never had keto flu. I maintained my weight during that time. I did recently realize that, that I was making a big mistake on gum. I didn't realize it had one carb per piece and I was chewing a lot, so I've stopped that. So now I'm trying to get back on track again, but my issue all along is I am hungry. Seems that I'm always hungry on any diet and everyone else says after you get in so many weeks, you'll lose all your cravings. I laugh at this. They said this on Nutrisystem too. I wonder if I'm the only person in the world that always gets hungry, but I digress. So last week, I finally read about the need for extra sodium and electrolytes. I started salting a lot with sea salt, pink salt, and potassium no salt. In fact, last week, after I added a bunch of salt, the next day when I woke up, I had indentations on my face that stayed there for hours, so I didn't use quite so much after that. And uh, this is my commentary. I'm not really sure what that means or if that's even a thing. I don't know. This person goes on, On Friday, I decided to start restricting carbs super low because I'm one of those who can barely get into ketosis at 15 carbs a day. If I eat a big salad or a bunch of veggies, it's over. So I wanted to go super low to try to see if all the carbs I was eating were why I was still getting hungry. Well, by Saturday, I had the keto flu. I did eat a little dark chocolate later, thinking it might make me feel better, but it didn't. Also on Saturday, I received my Amazon order of unflavored liquid electrolyte drops. No carbs. I don't want to use any flavored powders as I'm trying to stay away from fake sugars and unnecessary crap. That's a scientific term, unnecessary crap. Well, now, now that I look at the stats of the drops, they are somewhat weak electrolytes for what I was reading that I should be consuming. So I've been using a lot of drops. I used them all day Saturday and I felt horrible. I finished Saturday at 12 carbs because of the chocolate. I feel better Sunday. I had only three carbs. And I know this is kind of long and drawn out, but I want to take you through this because it's typical of uh, people who start and the only experience they have of changing their eating habits is dieting, calorie restricting, you know. So uh, and this is, this is a kind of a typical process that people go through. Right. Then today, sick again. I've had about seven carbs today. I fasted, though, until dinner today, which I have been trying a lot lately and it's been pretty hard because I get so hungry. I continue using my liquid drops today and also picked up a calcium, magnesium, zinc, no-carb supplement. had three of those. For lunch, I made a chicken broth with nutritional yeast and spices that calculated to about two carbs per cup. So I've had two of those cups. So the good news is I was not starving at all today. Not sure if it's the placebo effect, the keto flu, or the sodium, broth, and electrolytes, whatever. I ate dinner, just protein and fat, shrimp and chicken livers, around 3 carbs, 600 calories, 40 grams of fat, 56 grams of protein, and I don't feel hungry hours later. I still do feel a little sick, though, and that may be why. But I guess my question is, if I'm hungry on a given day and going to go over macros, fully understanding I may not lose any weight that day, is it better to go over on fat or protein, or does it matter? I'm hoping I can just get to the point where I am not hungry if I just eat macros like everyone else says. I just want to be that person. Okay. I know because I've already done the interview with Richard. Uh, I did that yesterday. And uh, while you were driving home, Carrie, I did the interview with Richard. So we're going to play that in a few minutes. But 
I know from what he said, the answer is in there, but I'm going to give it to you plain and simple. You're not eating enough. When you say 600 calories, you know, in a meal, and it's mostly protein, that tells me you're not eating enough fat. And I wouldn't worry about macros. Here's, here's the simple solution. You figure out you're not going to eat carbs, right? You know that. You're, you're getting your carbs from the right places. That's all fine. You, it looks like you've, you're dialing in your electrolytes fine. That's good. You need more salt. And, and you have the protein, chicken, livers, and the shrimp, and that's good. But you need to add fat until you're satiated, right? You need to eat fatty proteins and then stop when you're finally not hungry anymore. That's it. It's fat to satiety. If you go back and listen to last week's show, where the, uh, what we read was a, a letter that somebody had written in saying that they, they weren't losing any weight, so they naturally dialed down the amount of food they were eating, and it didn't work. And once they started eating fat to satiety, as we've been saying for you know years now, the weight came off. And... They, that satiety naturally means not hungry. So if you, if you eat a meal and you're still hungry, you need to eat more. And I don't mean eat more protein. You need to eat more fat. The other thing that jumped out at me when you were reading um, this lovely person's letter was the bit where they said, you know, I ate more so I knew I wouldn't lose any weight that day. So I just wanted to point out that weight yeah. loss is not linear. No, it's not. Weight loss is like all over the place and it, you can't always, well, in fact, you usually cannot correlate what you ate one day with a loss or gain you might experience the next day. It just True. doesn't work like that. So if you think that, that there's that much of a correlation between what you ate today and what you weigh tomorrow morning, you're going to be continually frustrated because yep. weight loss is just not linear. That's right. And so long and short of it is up the fat and stop eating when you're full and not before and stop counting calories. And I wouldn't even worry about macros so much. I mean, we all have um, built-in sort of ability to regulate how much protein we eat. The body is really amazing when it comes to that. Uh, it's, it's very, very tightly regulated. And so, you know, you want to make your protein in your dish the, the centerpiece of what you're eating, but you want to have enough fat in it so that at a certain point, you're full enough to stop eating. And if you, weren't, if you didn't have that fat in there, you wouldn't reach that point so quickly. And shrimp are super not fatty. No, they're not. So they have to be you know, smothered in garlic butter or that kind of thing. And uh, stick around and listen to what Richard says, because he goes into a bit more of the science behind why this is. And uh, that's coming up right now, I think. Should we just go ahead and play that uh, interview, Carrie? Yay, Richard! Okay, here it is. My voice sounds a little bit different because I was on a sort of a USB gaming headset in my hotel room, but I hope that doesn't detract from what Richard says, which is really, <laughs> really important. Here we go. Richard Morris, how are you? I'm good, Carl. How are you? <laughs> it's been a long time since we chatted. Uh, yeah, how, wh what was the last time? It was in Denver. Right. When we interviewed uh, Paul Mason. Yeah, that was fun. So I'm, I'm really glad to hear that you're writing a book, and I want to talk about that. But, you know, catch us up on what's been on your mind lately. 
Well, I've uh, of course I'm studying very hard, and I'm barely passing physical chemistry. Oh, I'll pass. Oh, but wow. Still, but it's it's hard work. It, it's it's. I mean, there are biochemists who understand biology, and biochemists who understand chemistry, and the latter kind are very rare. And so I'm trying to to get into that category. Mm. Um, but anyway, the um, uh, enjoying myself and working hard. Um, of course, I'm I'm still keeping up with the keto community, uh, getting ready for Keto Fest and preparing all my stuff for that. Yeah, and uh, and now I I noticed that <laughs> I noticed that keto has been getting a lot of press lately. It's yeah, just, for better or for worse, right? Well, it's, it's going off the hook. I mean, everybody is uh, basically pointing to keto as the uh, as the sort of the new kid on the block that uh, that either everyone wants to try or everyone wants to try and knock down, you know. Right. Um, there was. Did you see that thing about? Uh, did you see Jillian Michaels? Yeah. So <laughs> I, I I gotta tell you, I'm I don't really know who she is because I didn't watch. I don't watch TV. I didn't watch The Biggest Loser. But you know, reading her uh, your history with that show um, doesn't surprise me that somebody who is involved in that show sort of is, is railing against keto. But, yeah, tell us about what she said. Well, he, here's the thing. I mean, she, you know, I, I, I'm not going to go through all of her claims because she's basically put out this post on her website and it's been picked up by Plant-Based News and just about everybody who wants to say something about the ketogenic diet, everybody who finds a ketogenic diet threatening to their own dogma is, of course, jumping on it and, you know, Going rah rah, Jillian, we love what you say, and right. uh, and of course, all of the keto people. It's like it's like she just stepped on an ant's nest. Yeah, uh, right. All the, you know, uh, Ken Berry is doing rants, and Jimmy Moore's doing rants, and everybody's mm-hmm. doing <laughs> rants in their groups. Jillian Michaels doesn't know what she's saying. Right, you right. Know, I'm not going to go through her claims. I'm not going to fisk her claims because, you know, they're pretty much they're all just about any myth that she can think of that will get all those hundreds of thousands of keto folk angry enough to give her free publicity. You oh, there's one uh, thing I noticed about that post is that there wasn't a whole lot of science in it. There wasn't any referenced um, studies or whatever. Now, all of her biochemistry is utterly crazy. I mean, the, the funniest comment I saw was from Disco Stew who said, I hate people that use big science words that they don't know the meaning of. They think they're so photosynthesis. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, she used things like telomeres and basically using long words to try and uh, try and uh, fool us. Establish her authority. Well, yeah, she has no right. authority. I mean, he, he, yeah, yeah. here's what I know of her. I mean, uh, you guys probably in, in the States probably know her a lot better than we do here in Australia. But here in Australia, she's she used to be one of the – um, uh, personal trainers on a TV show called The Biggest Loser, and, and we had our own version of Biggest Loser here in Australia, and and of course she was on the American one. We get it during day in daytime TV, sort of uh, stuck between <laughs> infomercials for multi-purpose ladders and infomercials <laughs> for chicken cookers and stuff. I got you. Uh, and so, and it, it, I think she got she got canned in 2014 for. Um, uh, she was complaining about some of the methods that were used on the show. Uh, but the whole show f- basically uh, disappeared in, in 2016. It w- wasn't picked up again and uh, and everybody involved with the show just wants nothing to do with it. And mm. I think part of that has to do <laughs> has to do with the fact that uh, there was a study done by Kevin Hall at the uh, from the National Institute of Health 
Uh, he did a six-year follow-up of the Biggest Loser contestants, and this was a show where she was she was a personal trainer that was driving these contestants to to drive down the calories that they were eating, drive up the calories they were burning, mm. um, and 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 basically torturing these poor fat people until they until they lost some weight. Kevin Hall, he's he was another guy who claimed that the ketogenic diet didn't work or something. What was that all about? No, he did. He did a serious study with uh, Gary for Gary Taub's Nusi uh, organization, uh, but he he got out over his skis and he claimed, you know, a lot of these uh, a lot of these studies, the actual meat of the study bears no resemblance to <laughs> to the conclusion or the headline of the study, and so mm. and this was one of these cases. But you know, the, the, the funny thing with uh, the funny thing with Gillian Michaels really here's why she did what she did. I mean, it had there was no basis in science. Uh, the, the comments that she made about the ketogenic diet. Yeah. But here's why she said what she said. She said, yes, I'm going to do it. I'm going to infuriate the keto community. I am brave enough to incur their wrath and outrage because I don't believe in this diet that much. Right. And you have you yeah, have yeah. to ask yourself, why is she doing this? Right. Yeah, <laughs> you know? Uh, obviously, she's noticed how popular the ketogenic diet is and how many online communities we have, and she's trolling us to give her free publicity. You know? Yeah, she wants the publicity. That's yeah, that's and true. The, and and you know this the the risky thing that she's doing here. I mean, sure, she's going to get a lot of publicity from you know the the usual people. But the the risk that she's taking here is that what if we turn the spotlight back on her and take a closer look at the results of what she does? Yeah, okay. So Kevin Hall's study, which I was talking about before. Um, there, there is this theory that uh, metabolic rate is based around body mass. And so if you're a big man, you have a higher metabolic rate. And if you're a thin man, you have a, a lower metabolic rate. Mm. And in this uh, six-year follow-up Kevin Hall did, he basically did he took the met, looked at the metabolic rate of people joining the competition. And they their, their body weight was – the average was 148.9 kilograms, so almost 150 kilograms. It's about 300-and-something pounds big. Okay. And after the 30-week competition, they had reduced their weight from 150 kilograms down to 90 kilograms. Okay. So that's a massive, massive drop. That's better than I ever did. I mean, I started out at 150 and I got down to 99. So, you yeah. know, they're nine kilograms – uh, more weight loss than than I ever achieved. Mm-hmm. But six years later, when Kevin Hall came back to look at these people, their average weight was 131 kilograms. They'd put most of their weight back on again. Yeah. You know, they started out before the competition at uh, a BMI of almost 50. Uh, by the end of the competition, their BMI was 30, so they were just into an overweight category. Hmm. Um, six years later, their BMI had gone back up to 44. So, you know, you know, they, it, 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 this is, this is this weight yo-yo that happens when you calorically restrict. I mean, he shows at the beginning of the TV show, uh, the resting, resting metabolic rate was, uh, 2,600 calories per day. So mm. these people were able to burn 2,600 calories a day, 2,607 to be precise, calories a mm. day. So if they were to eat 2,600 calories in food, in theory, and they would do, were to do no exercise, in theory, they would uh, maintain their weight. Okay. Mm-hmm. By the end of the competition, after they'd lost all of this weight, their metabolic rate had dropped from 2,600 down to 1,996. So it was under 2,000. So that's a 600 calorie drop. So they were now able to eat. They were able to maintain their weight 
only if they ate 600 calories less than when they started the competition. And you might say to yourself, well, well you know, that's, that, that, that's reasonable. They'll, that they're, they're in, the, in the last week of the competition. They're doing mm. everything they possibly can to drive their metabolic rate down. As soon as they take their foot off the accelerator, um, their, their metabolic rate will go back up again. Well, these people, Kevin Hall showed after six years that they'd put most of their weight back on. You would think if his theory is correct that they would have gone back up to, you know, 2,400 calories a, a right. day metabolic right. rate. Their, their, their metabolic rate had gone even lower than at the end of the competition. It had gone from 1996 to 1903. So now not only are they as obese as they once were, but they yep. don't have the ability to burn as much body fat as That's they right. did when they started. So they, they were damaged by the experience. Permanently. Yes, and, and, and it wasn't like they took their foot off the accelerator. So at the beginning of the competition, the amount of exercise that they were all doing uh, was 5.6 uh, kilocalories of exercise per kilogram. So if these mm. people were 150 kilograms, they were doing 150 times 5.6 um, calories of, of, of exercise. So that, w that was at the beginning of the competition. By the end of the competition, this is where they should have been doing the most amount of exercise. They were doing 10 uh, calories per kilogram per day. Now, remember, their weight had dropped a little bit as well. They had gone mm -hmm. from 150 kilograms to 90 kilograms, and, but their, their exercising had gone from 5.6 up to 10 uh, calories per kilogram. Yeah. So, so the exercising was about the same. Well, in six years' time, their exercising rate had not changed from the end of the competition. So at the end of the competition, they were at 10 calories per kilogram, and six years later, their exercising was at 10 calories per kilogram as well. But here's the kicker. They put on all that weight back on again. So they were mm. actually now doing more exercise after six years and failing to keep their weight off because, and here's the thing, some of these people said, if I eat more than 800 calories an hour a day, I gain weight. Wow. And it used to be that I would gain weight when I ate 3,000 calories a day. You know? Jeez. <laughs> so, so anyway, this- It's just this not is, fair. <laughs> it's, it's not, but it's, it's, this is the history of, uh, of, of Jelly Michael's way of doing things, you know. So, mm, um, mm. you know, the, the history of uh, calories in, calories out is littered with similar success. <laughs> there, was, uh, there was one English study that found uh, that between 2 to 5% of people who attempt to lose weight through calorie restriction have kept off more than 10 kilograms after a year. Right. Just think of that, 2 to 5%. 90, 95 to 98% of people who attempt to lose weight cannot keep off more than 10 kilograms after a year. Now, now if you go to any ketogenic group uh, online, you'll find hundreds or thousands of people who ate ad libitum, ate whatever they wanted to eat, as mm -hmm. long as it was ketogenic, mm. lost much more than 10 kilograms and kept it off for as long as they've been ketogenic. Right. You know? Sure. So, I mean, we know, we know tons of people like that ourselves. Yeah, absolutely. So, I really want to um, dive into something with you here, and I know that we've done it before on Two Keto Dudes, but it, it's just such an important distinction. The difference between cal caloric restriction that damages, you know, in the case of like the biggest loser, yeah. and, you know, intermittent fasting or fasting right. completely. And, and I know there's a, a big difference, but this can be very confusing for people who are, are just getting started and want to know what the difference is. Yeah, so the difference is really the difference between eating nothing and eating not enough. So 
look at it from your body's point of view. You're a caveman. Uh, your body has a certain amount of energy that it expects to take in every day, and all of a sudden it's not getting enough energy. Well, there's two options. Your body can say, okay, we're going into winter, for example, where there is less food. There's, you know, every day there's a little bit less food. Um, mm-hmm. We're going to slow down. We're going to, to, we're basically going to hibernate through the winter. Um, we're going to not use a lot of energy. We're not going to expect to eat a lot of food and we're going to dial down our metabolic rate. So that is what happens with caloric restriction. The body thinks it's winter. The body starts slowing everything down. It starts trying to hunker down, waiting for summer. So the other option is is um, intermittent fasting. When you have when you eat nothing, your body is thinking, ah, he hasn't hunted for a while. We need to get him out to hunt. And so it keeps your metabolic rate up so that you can hunt down game. It takes two or three days before your metabolic rate really starts to drop from not eating anything at all. Mm. So that's that's really the difference. It's it's the difference between not eating enough and right. uh, eating nothing at all. So is it different for people who calorically restrict with uh, carbohydrates versus people who are fat adapted and calorically restrict with ketogenic food? Yeah. So that's interesting because the the and I'm actually writing a book explaining this paradox <laughs> because really uh, what you eat determines your hormonal milieu in your body mm-hmm. and that mm-hmm. will determine how much energy you can access and it, it you know it it drives a lot of behaviors like uh, satiety and uh, eating and you know this is um, the, the thing is that if if we 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 look at the body as a as a closed system, uh, and we talk about uh, the the first law of thermodynamics uh, of of not being able to create energy of energy in having to equal energy out. Mm-hmm. And what we don't realize is that the amount of energy that our body uses changes all the time based on levers that we really don't have access to. <laughs> you know. Yeah. What you eat is going to change how much energy you're able to use. Uh, right. When you eat is going to change how much energy you're able to use. Right. So you want your body to, um, if you're going to lose weight, um, uh, starving your body a little bit uh, is a lot different than 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 uh, going through periods where you don't eat anything at all and you floor your insulin because uh, insulin, it turns out, uh, drives a lot of these um uh, metabolic processes. So, for example, um, if your insulin is high, then uh, then your body fat stores fat. Yep. Your but so that's at the that's at the source of energy coming into your system. Right, your body fat is hoovering up all of that energy because it's tr- because you've just eaten you've just eaten a, a meal with some some protein and glucose that's raised your insulin and. And your body is now going to focus on those forces, forms of energy and right. it's going to store fat. So one of the things that happens when your insulin is high, so for somebody who is a type 2 diabetic, you, you, your highs are higher and your lows are higher. Mm-hmm. So your insulin is up all the time. For somebody who is type 2 diabetic, at the sink of that energy, so the, the, the source is the fat cell, the fat cell is, is putting this energy into your blood. And we tend to think of... Um, of energy coursing through the blood is available energy that we can use right away, but that's actually not the case. It has to get into the cell, get into the mitochondria, then get beta-oxidized, what has to get turned into acetyl-CoA, and then that goes to the TCA cycle, and that eventually becomes 
um, protons in the intermembrane space, and that eventually becomes ATP, which we can then use for energy. So there's right. an entire sequence of things happening there. And it turns out that insulin diverts en- fuel from becoming energy into becoming new fuel. And so right, that's right. really that's really what so, my book so is about. Keeping your insulin down is is obviously the most important thing. And that's why I brought up if somebody's going to eat 500 calories a day of salad and bread, right, and their insulin is going to stay high Mm -hmm. versus somebody who eats 500 calories a day of pure butter and their insulin is going to drop, both Mm -hmm. are calorically restricting, Mm -hmm. but the one who is eating the, the 500 calories of butter a day obviously has a metabolic a metabolic rate that's higher than the other one isn't isn't that a fair assessment yeah but why why do they have the metabolic rate higher because they have more energy available because they can run more processes they have more energy available because their insulin is lower yeah, their insulin isn't basically blocking fuel from becoming energy right and the reason i brought that up richard is because when we say caloric restriction what we really mean is non ketogenic caloric restriction isn't that is that fair to say well, I think, you know, if you're going to lose weight, you're going to be eating less calories than you're going to be burning. That's, that is a, that is a truism. Um, what, the, <laughs> what isn't well explained is that calories out is such a complex, um, mathematical right. process that right. is based on calories coming in. And so it becomes a chaotic, mathematically it becomes a chaotic, uh, uh, chaotic statement. But the, mm. the, the, you know, so, 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 it's, it becomes difficult to say, well, you know, th- these two guys, the guy eating salad and bread, 500 calories of salad and bread, and the guy eating 500 calories of butter, which one is going to lose the most amount of weight? Well, you know, that mm-hmm. you don't know. You know, the, each is going to have a different context. But if it were, if they were twins and they were, um, uh, if they were, if they were twins had fairly similar metabolisms and, and they were to do that, I would expect that the person who is, um, eating the butter is going to have a slightly higher metabolic rate because they have more e- energy available because their body is going to expect 2,500 calories a, 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 a day of energy. It's going yeah. to get 500 calories from the salad or from the butter and then it's going to go looking for another 2,000 calories and yeah. depending on how much body fat they've got, if they've got, uh, you know, if you're going to make uh, 2,000 calories a day, you probably need to have 30, uh, almost 30 kilograms of body fat. Uh, mm-hmm. If you have less than that, you're going to have less, and then you're in caloric restriction zone again, and then your body, then your metabolic rate has to drop again. Right, and so, on top you know, of that, the person eating salad and bread has got higher levels of insulin, right? Because they are eating what because of what they're eating, so it's going to take mm-hmm. them longer to for for the body fat to become available to them. Well, they're not going to be able to use it. They're not going to be able to use it until the insulin drops. They're going to have to wait until until you know two hours after a meal before yep. they can start using that. So, yeah. so what actually what happens is insulin uh, promotes the transcription of a of an enzyme called acetyl-CoA carboxylase, and yeah. that's the first enzyme in the process that makes new fat. So, somebody who is a hyperinsulinemic, a type two diabetic, or you know, somebody who has insulin that is high all the time. Uh, is making a lot more of that enzyme. And so any energy that's available in their cell's cytosol, um, uh, or I shouldn't say energy, any acetyl-CoA yeah. is being converted into making new fat. You know, mm-hmm. so, uh, and, and the thing is that when you make new fat, uh, it, when your cell makes fat, it doesn't burn fat. 
So, uh, right. you know, it, it doesn't turn around and burn the same thing it just made. It, it exports it off to, to, to be stored and so, or for mm. other tissue to use it. And so, uh, so what ends up happening is that uh, a type 2 diabetic, we know, for example, a type 2 diabetic rat has a constant of inhibition uh, of carnitil palmitoyl uh, transferase, which is a shuttle that gets fatty acids in the mitochondria. Mm. They have an inhibition um uh, constant uh, to melonal CoA, which is that first step to making new fat, over fifty times that of a non-diabetic. Now, now we, we we know rats aren't men, but the fact that rats with type two diabetes evidently make fifty times more new fat than rats that are not diabetic means we need to understand this process in men, in humans. Yeah, yeah. Nobody's interested in doing the fundamental science on this, but but that that would be uh, a, a wicked study to 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 find out. And that's why you're going to school, man. <laughs> yeah, but it's one of the reasons. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. So, and I imagine right. this is all going to be in your book. Let's talk about that. Yeah, it is. Um, so I, it, I haven't got an exact title for the book yet, but it's uh, it's uh, something like uh, uh, The Paradox of the Fat Man Who's Hungry. Mm. It's all about this whole idea of a paradox. I like paradoxes. They tell us that some of our initial assumptions may be wrong. Mm. For example, take the grandfather paradox. This is the one that asks the question, what if you travel back in time and killed your own grandfather before your parents were born? Right. You, you may recognise that as a plot device that drives time-travelling sci-fi movies like Back <laughs> to the Future. You know? yeah, but yeah. what happens if you go back in time and do something like preventing your parents' meeting or which results in you never having been born? If you aren't born, you can't change the past. Mm. Your parents are free to have you. You exist to travel back in time to negate your existence. You know, It, it goes on and on. The thing is that the grandfather paradox tells us that our assumptions that it is possible to go back in time is probably wrong or that right. time prob probably doesn't work in the way that we think it does. Yeah, uh, it is linear. That, well, that's that, and that's how Back to the Future resolved it to make a plot device. But, you yeah. know, it, essentially it uh, – personally, I think that the simple answer is that we can't – we can only travel through time in one direction at one second per second in our frame. But, you know, mm -hmm. where's the fun in that? <laughs> anyway, right, yeah, yeah. so this paradox of the fat man who is hungry has been playing on my mind for like three decades, ever since I became the fat man in my early 20s. Mm. So the question is, why do humans get fat? And the simplest answer was that I ate more calories than I needed to burn, so I stored them in body fat. Right, right. Now, thinking back, some days I ate more than I burned and other days I burned more than I ate, but the evidence is that I averaged the former more than the latter. So I'm mm. in my early 50s and for roughly 30 years I stored about one and a half kilos of extra fuel every year. Yeah. Now we, we can actually do the math on how much fuel I was sto storing every day, um, uh, which I've got in the book, but it essentially it's, it's a very small amount. It's a, around about 37 kilocalories a day on average. Yeah. Yeah, I yeah. was eating more than I was burning. So that's like um, – it's like half a slice of unbuttered white bread. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so uh, extra food that I was eating every day. So – you know, the question is, why do we get hungry? And the obvious answer is that hunger is a signal that we're running low on energy and we need to seek out more fuel. Yeah. And it also doesn't make sense because if you look at a fat person and you say, well, that person has all this potential energy on their body, he how has can a they possibly be hungry? Yeah. Why, mm. why is a fat man hungry? So there's the, that's the paradox that I'm, that I'm setting up in the book. You know, right. why would a fat man need more fuel? He has plenty of fuel right there on his body. Because he can't access it. 
Right. Some some of our initial assumptions must be incorrect, and there's a good chance that these assumptions will be fundamental to how we understand human biology. Mm. Uh, so that's why I like paradoxes. They're sort of signposts that if we pay attention, we might discover something truly novel. Yeah, I've experienced this paradox myself. I mean, of course, you know, being heavy for a long, long time. Mm. And, and I like to tell people that, do you, can you ever remember a time when you polished off a large pizza and your stomach was stretched so far that it was painful. You were so full. Right. And yet you still could eat more. You, you're like, oh, yeah. oh, my God, I'm still hungry. Yeah. We've all had that experience. Absolutely. Yeah. And it comes down to we think that we're eating fuel and it's automatically turning into energy. We eat the pizza and it's automatically turning into ATP. But, you know, the, right. the carbs, the, the, the fat in that pizza is not. The fat in that pizza is going straight to our fat cells. Mm. The carbs in that pizza are, are going to fuel our body because we're in this fed state where insulin is high. And so we basically um, we use what protein we need for uh, protein recycling. We turn the rest of that into energy. We turn um, as much carbs into energy. But if our insulin is high all the time, then we're even turning some of that protein that we're eating and some of that carbs that we're eating into fat, even when we're running out of energy. Mm. And that's the that's the thing. We the reason that you're hungry, even though your stomach is full and that you've you, you've got a, a a fat belly on you, is because you don't have access to that energy. It's being diverted from you because of your hormonal milieu is so far out of whack. No energy for you. No energy for you, exactly. <laughs> so, so anyway, that's that's what I'm doing. I'm I'm working really hard to uh, to get the. It'll, hopefully, it'll be it'll be uh, uh, you know a, a regular book available at regular booksellers. It's it's mm. not going to be self published. I'm I'm uh, I'm uh, scouting around for uh, possible publishers, and uh, so you know that's uh, that's my goal. And in the meantime, I'm working really hard as a student. <laughs> getting, mm -hmm. I'm, yeah. I'm doing okay in biochemistry. I'm, 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 I'm doing really well in biochemistry, but I'm sort of getting my ass kicked by uh, <laughs> by physical chemistry. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, um, speaking of crazy stuff in making the news, the Weight Watchers has been in the news a lot, and we've talked about it <sighs> a little bit on the show. But, uh, but tell tell me what your thoughts on that whole we will outlast the keto craze statement was all about yeah i i have a feeling that weight watchers milkshake is being drunk by ketogenic diets because ketogenic <laughs> diets one work and that people are talking about them yeah two they reverse type 2 diabetes and there's a lot of type 2 diabetes out there yeah, yeah. and uh, yeah, third i mean the other reason they're talking about ketogenic diets is because they're thinking about doing uh, lower carb options. I've got um, um, a lower lowish carb option now, which is lowish carbohydrate, low fat, low protein, yeah. low calorie. So, but you know, there's not really an alternative to keto. Sure, <laughs> uh, no. The the thing is that diets that see their unique selling proposition as a method to help you trick yourself through gamification into calorie deprivation <laughs> will always have a problem with fat as a nutrient. You know, fat has double the energy per gram than any other source of energy. So fat is the one nutrient where they want to pump the brakes. And the reality is that fat is just energy. You know, there's nothing yep, magical yep. about it. But you yeah, know, except the, that it doesn't derange you like everything it does, else does. It, well, it, one, once you're really deranged, anything uh, you know, carbohydrate and protein will really derange you. And fat's about the only thing mm. that you can you can eat and not go 
crazy. But, you know, if you don't get energy from carbohydrates because they pervert satiety and most humans can't get more than roughly 30% of energy from protein, then you must get it from fat. You get it from your body or from your plate. If you don't have enough mm-hmm. energy, you make budget cuts, and that's what we were talking about with uh, Kevin Hall. You know, the, these Mm-hmm. We we literally furlough processes like making hair. I mean, this do you need to make hair when you're starving to death? No. So what happens is your body says well, we're going, we're not going to spend ATP on 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 this expensive process of making hair. What we're going to do is we're going to uh, you know, slow down hair making until we get uh, back to a regular diet. And you know and, that's a common thing yeah. that people um, experience hair loss when they're dieting and. Uh, yeah, I guess it comes down to those periods where you don't have enough energy, and yeah. that's exactly what's going on. And and I ha- I noticed that too when I was going through keto, and I must have gone through an energy deficit phase yeah. because my wife noticed a little bald spot on the back of my head and took a picture of it. And I'm like, huh, that's really kind of strange. And mm-hmm. uh, after I sort of plateaued and settled down, it all came came back. Comes rushing back. It's that th- that process where herald decides to fall out all at one time uh it's mm. called uh telogen effluvium and n- normally our hair goes through this process where you know for for yeah, for 6 months it's uh it depending on the hair a bit for, you know for for 6 months it's 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 in a in a growing stage and then it uh it pauses for a bit and then it then it it falls out and then a new follicle appears. Mm. And this is all staggered across all of the hair on your body. So you don't notice mm. all of a sudden becoming bald because um because uh there's all you know, there's, there's always hair falling out and there's always hair new follicles replacing it. But mm-hmm. what happens when you calorically restrict is all of the hair that's close decides, okay, now's the time. <laughs> So, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's like lemmings off a cliff. So, yeah. uh, and, and what happens is, you know, uh, six months after the, after your caloric restriction, um, you know, you, all of your hair has come back. It's all coming back at the same time because, uh, mm. you know, that, 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 that's because now, you, now you've got energy. It, on the ketogenic diet, it happens when you first, uh, transition because your body is not good at burning fat and turning mm. it into energy. In fact, it's really bad at it. And mm-hmm. that's the only source of energy you're giving it. And yep. especially for people who go low fat keto, when they do the first couple of weeks and they don't have enough fat, their body is in a state of uh, deprivation of calories, and so that'll mm-hmm. happen. Yeah, mm-hmm. it, you know. And there are lots of other things that happen. Um, uh, menstrual periods will will stop as well, and there's lots of other things that happen when you calorically restrict. So, um, you know, that's uh, it, it's it's all a matter of the body deciding. Uh, we're going to die if we don't get food. So uh, mm-hmm. we see no food coming in, even though, as I say, the body could have plenty of fat on it. If it's locked into a hormonal state where it can't access that, turn it into energy, um, then the body is thinking, I'm starving and I've got no resources um, and I'm going to cut back, I'm going to furlough some processes mm-hmm. and I'm going to um, uh, and hope, hopefully we can, uh, we can last this famine. So, you know, it, it's a... The, the whole thing about a ketogenic diet, a ketogenic diet is a fasting mimicking diet without calorie restriction. That's the thing, right. you know. Right. Um, so yeah, uh, yeah. you get all the advantages of being fasted, um, but none of the disadvantages of calorie restriction. Well, uh, in closing, I say to the Jillian Michaels of the world, show me the science. That's That's been our <laughs> mantra for these years, hasn't it, Richard? Oh, it, absolutely. Show me the science. 
And look, if if Weight Watchers survives the next few years because they're losing they're losing hundreds of millions of dollars every quarter. If they survive the next few years, it will be because they saw the science and they introduced healthy amounts of fat in their low carb options. Well, what was one of the other things that Jillian said about uh, about your about how keto attacks your liver, like, <laughs> it, like it's an attack on your liver? Hey, I'm yeah. sorry, but. Everybody I know has a much healthier liver after doing keto than before. Yeah, I certainly do. Get your finger, get your finger on the bleep button, Carl, because Jillian Michaels says that keto attacks the shit out of your liver. <laughs> that's what she said. Yes, <laughs> yeah, that's what she said. Uh, yeah, look, yeah. just just know that the evidence is that the ketogenic diet is the only treatment that can reverse the progression of non-alcoholic fatty liver disease or NAFLD. Uh, there's a paper out by Verta uh, showing that, and I kind of think Jillian Michaels knew that paper was out there, which is why she said such a a, a, a crazy thing, uh, in an incendiary thing. She wanted to get the low carb community talking about her. And I just think we should ignore her as the snake oil saleswoman she is. Well, you know, she got our attention on this show, that's for sure. But, you know, we, we wanted to bring it up. No more. No uh, more. <laughs> yeah, and we wanted to bring it up just because uh, we, we sort of have to shine a little light on on what's going on there. But, uh, you know, don't worry about it too much. And if somebody comes up to you and starts repeating these crazy claims, you know, show me the science. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. If you can show me the science that proves that, I will reverse my belief system 100%. Yeah. Yeah. Well, buddy, it's been it's been good talking to you. Thanks. Yeah, no too worries. Long. Keep calm, keep on, Carl. Absolutely. You too. We'll catch up with you soon. Okay. See you at Keto Fest. Yep. Bye-bye. Wow, that was Mr. Morris at his finest. Absolutely. I'm super sad that I was driving across West Virginia when y'all got to chat. Yeah, he uh, he agreed to come on as much as we uh, want to have him on, and as long as he's uh, got time to do it, he will. So I'm really looking forward to his book, and um, that's that's good. I'm really excited to not be driving next time we have Richard on the show. Yep. All right, then, Carrie, it's time for you to give us one of your recipes. 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 What do you got? I do have a recipe, and I think, I hope, that this will be a very exciting recipe for a lot of people. I know. I like it. Because if you heard the intro to this show, you'll know that I have been knee-deep in keto ice cream all week. Yes. And, of course, it's the middle of May, which means that Memorial Day is just around the corner and the start of summer and ice cream season is pretty much in full swing. Mm-hmm. And um, we all scream for ice cream. Yes, and we do. now you have the opportunity to have the most fabulous keto ice cream. So I thought today, because I'm in an ice cream frame of mind i would share a recipe for keto waffle cones nice so all the pretty pictures and all the technical stuff and the recipe itself are on my blog at uh, carriebrown.com mm-hmm. so you don't have to scribble and try and remember all this i'll take you through the recipe now okay but i there's lots of top tips which we don't have time to go through so i highly encourage you to just go to the website and read all the tips before you try and make them because they are a little bit odd okay so if you want a perfect 
crisp, crunchy, I can't believe it's keto waffle cone. <laughs> Carriebrown.com is where you'll find it. All right. So, and, and you'll, you'll, no, when I read the ingredients here, you're going to go, wait, what? That, like, that's <laughs> weird. And I'll explain to you why. Okay. So you're going to need two eggs, three tablespoons of erythritol or xylitol. Okay. One and a half teaspoons of vanilla extract. Okay. One and a half teaspoons of maple extract. Mm -hmm. You can switch those around you can do all vanilla you can do all maple you could put some other extracts in there that take your fancy but you're going to need about three teaspoons of extract total okay you're going to need five tablespoons of avocado oil oh right <laughs> yeah does it taste like avocados it doesn't not at all they taste like vanilla maple waffle cones nice and they don't taste like egg at all either. Wow. You're going to need three ounces or 85 grams of almond flour. That's yep. the flour, the white, not the meal with all the brown skinny bits in. Okay. And you're going to want one teaspoon of my favorite keto ingredient, which is the konjac flour, also mm. known as glucomannan powder. Yeah. Best purchased from Amazon. Save yourself the trouble of trying to look for it in the stores. Okay. And here's what you're going to do. You're going to put the eggs and the sweetener, the extracts, and the avocado oil in a mason jar or similar. Okay. And you're going to blend the heck out of it with an immersion blender. Or if you don't have one of those, a whisk will do. It will just take a bit more elbow grease. What about a magic bullet or a little blender? Would that work too? I Probably. Didn't do it, so can't say for sure, but okay. it sounds like it would. All right. But you d you don't actually make an awful lot, so that was why I did it in a jar with okay. a stick blender rather than putting it in a Vitamix, which is just, you know, this huge yeah, old yeah, jug yeah. that you then have to wash up. Right, sure. But it would still work. So you're going to have the eggs, sweetener, extracts, oil in a mason jar. You're going to blend them well. Then you're going to put the almond flour and the konjac flour in a small bowl and mix together well. Don't mm. skip that part mm -hmm. because you want to have the konjac evenly distributed amongst the almond flour. Otherwise, mm -hmm. when you add the liquid, you're going to have the konjac is going to clump. So that's why you need to mix the flours together so that they're evenly distributed. Okay. Then, so you're going to add that almond flour mixture to the egg mixture and you're going to blend until it's completely mixed and smooth. Nice. And then you're going to leave the waffle cone batter to stand for 15 minutes. And you are not going to skip this step. Okay. And Carl can attest that I am wagging my finger yes, at she all is. of you right now. <laughs> <laughs> you, you trust me on this one, 15 minutes, because the batter needs to thicken or you will get very thin, fragile waffles and you'll be sad. Okay. And if you're a mother, you'll have sad children and nobody wants sad children. Okay. You're going to preheat your waffle cone maker if you don't have one, but you want to get one because waffle cones like really make you happy. Mm. Then there's a, a link in the recipe on my blog. There's a link to show you the one that I use. So I know that one works. Okay. Um, if you have the same model as me, the setting to use is two and a half. You're going to get a quarter of a cup of batter. Yep. Almost. Actually, you're going to slightly underfill a quarter of a cup of batter. 
If you don't use cups to measure, for, so for those outside the US, you want three and a half tablespoons of batter, right. which you're going to pour onto the bottom plate of your waffle iron slightly above the center. Once you've got the batter on your waffle iron, you're going to close the lid and set a timer for four minutes. When the timer goes off, you're going to lift the lid. Depending on the color you prefer, if you want them darker, you can cook them a bit longer, but check after four minutes. Mm-hmm. The waffle will be extremely hot to touch for several minutes after you remove it from the iron. So just be careful. What do you remove it with? So I used a spatula. I just slid a a spatula under one edge Mm -hmm. and lifted it off with that. And then I transferred it to a clean towel, a, you know, a a a clean kitchen towel, Mm -hmm. not kitchen towel, a clean kitchen cloth and left it on the counter for a minute or two to cool down. The waffle cone maker comes with a waffle cone. Oh, okay. So what, what, when the waffle has cooled down a bit, you just roll it onto the cone form that mm. came with your waffle cone maker. Right. And in the manual that comes with your waffle cone maker, there's, in, there's explicit instructions about how to use your waffle cone form. Okay. So read that. Once you've rolled the waffle around the waffle cone form you're going to press it in place so so you want to press it into your countertop where the seam is so that the seam seals, seals. yeah especially at the tip right right and so then you're just going to leave the waffle on the cone form to cool and go cook the next waffle so when you flip the second waffle out you can take the first one off the form and it will be done what i do with them is i place the the formed waffle cones in a glass just to stand them up after they're cooled and repeat until you have made seven waffle cones. So that recipe makes seven. Nice. And then you get to stand back and admire your spectacular, fully keto, marvelous, crispy, crunchy, no one would ever know waffle cones. Wow. Um, And your family will be amazed and you will be a, either a keto goddess or a keto God um, (laughs) in your own kitchen. That's awesome. Wow. But there are a bunch of tips and tricks on the the recipe post, so please go read those first. You can, because I know someone out there is asking, do I have to make cones? No, you can make waffle bowls. Right. Like, same recipe. You can make it into bowls. And actually, one of of the lovely admins in the Keto Kitchen Facebook group actually makes them, doesn't roll them, and then when they're cool enough to cut, she cuts them into eight to make Chips. like triangular waffle biscuits. Yeah, yeah. Waffle cookies. Waffle cookies. Waffle cookies, yeah. So um, lots of things you can do. But go check out the blog post, have a look at the pictures, read the instructions, and then go make waffle cones. You will have a much, much happier summer. Gotcha. Going to do that, definitely. Or winter, if you're down under, with Mr. Morris. Right. I believe he eats ice cream in the winter down there. Yep. Well, Carrie, that's a show. And uh, if you guys have anything you want to tell us, something we said wrong, something you don't agree with, some more research you found to support or refute anything we've said, send it by email to dudes at twoketodudes.com. And you can follow us on Twitter, Twitch, Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram at Two Keto Dudes. Make sure you use the hashtag Two Keto Dudes. And of course, if you want to join the free ketogenic forum, it's forum.2keto.com. And you can have a look around the ketogenic forum without needing to create an account by starting with success 
get.2keto.com. And if you haven't got your tickets yet for Keto Fest, July 20th through the 21st, go to ketofest.com and get them tickets. It is galloping towards us. It's in a little over two months, and we're super excited. I know Carl and I both had a wonderful time in our respective states this last weekend, hugging and high-fiving and two keto dudesing with all the people, and it was fabulous. I loved right. meeting you all more than anything else. So come and see us at Keto Fest. We would love to high-five and hug with you. Yes. And also... You can check out our Facebook group, The Keto Kitchen, if Facebook is your thing. And if you feel like supporting our forums and all the podcasts we produce, please consider making a monthly pledge on our Patreon page at patreon.2keto.com. And if you pledge $20 or more per month, you will have access to an exclusive Facebook group, Two Keto Dudes Gold. We also have a free Facebook fan page at fb.2keto.com, so go follow us there. And you can see our podcasts and other videos, such as Keto Fest videos, on YouTube at youtube.2keto.com. And if you haven't already, please go and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, because that's how new people get to know about what we do. Two Keto Dudes is brought to you by Two Keto LLC, who strives to support the low-carb community with podcasts and other publications. Now, kids, listen up. Keep calm and keto on. Keep calm and keto on. And we'll see you next time on Two, Two Keto, Keto Dudes. Dudes.